Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. You're listening to FP Interviews. In-depth conversations with interesting people. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. Oi, the boys on Footy Prime on occasion are known to use vulgarities and frankly appalling language. And sometimes tales are quite adult in nature. So keep the volume down if there are kiddies around. And thank you for listening. Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to Footy Prime, the podcast interview. Shaman here, Forrest Dunlop's here, and Brennan's here. Uh, Wong is lurking in the weeds as usual somewhere. He'll make an appearance, I'm sure, because he can't help himself. Um, we're going to get into the whole labor dispute the wage dispute on today's show. Um, there, there's still stagnation in negotiations. We've got a little bit more information. We'll get to that later on. But today, we want to take you inside a real-life Canada soccer labor dispute. One of the highest-profile disputes came on the eve of the 86 World Cup. Just think about that, the 86 team. How close were they to not heading out to Mexico? We're joined now by... Uh, friend of the show he's been on before he's one of the great storytellers in canadian soccer alan errington alan welcome back to footy prime thank you welcome good so alan um 86 you were part of the staff in canada soccer at that point um just give us a background what you were doing in that environment in that time and exactly what transpired here well it was interesting because we we played in Mexico a couple of times before the World Cup uh, finals. And we were I was just reminiscing about it. We stayed in a lovely hotel and uh, it was all good, you know, it was wonderful. Then we played again in March and I went down with the youth team actually with Tony Taylor and Bob Bearpark. And the World Cup team were playing as well. And we played in a stadium called Atalanta Stadium in Mexico City. And the bull rings right next to it. And there's loads of stairs you've got to keep walking up and down. and the poor equipment manager, young little Harry, Harry Newman was uh, carrying about 10 bags, about 500 steps each way. And uh, anyway, that's where we played. But the hotel we stayed in when we got there was gone. And we stayed in a hotel across the road and it was all flat. There was just floor after floor stacked on each other because it had a huge earthquake in March before the actual finals in July, whenever it was played. You know, I can't remember the exact dates. So we were in this hotel and uh, we, we played our games or whatever, and Tony called a meeting. And he says, what's, what's going on? And he says, well, the players are going on strike. They want more money. And um, we're threatening not to play. So what we're going to do is figure out what we're going to do about it, you know? And um, so we're all sitting thinking, well, wow, that's, you know, that's a bit of a turn up. I've never really heard of that before. But they went on strike. And I think Bruce Wilson was the captain of the team, and he was a sort of, leader who was uh, responsible as the sort of shop steward, I guess. And um, and I, I wondered if it would pay and come back and haunt them later on, but it didn't because 
he was just a spokesman. And I think the uh, the people involved were quite good about recognizing that. But Tony says, well, let's see what we can do. He says, I think we've got three options. And he says, Alan, Bob, Tony, um, the rest of you, let's make a list up of other players that if these players refuse to play, we'll take the B team. So we all made a list of players and um, offered it to Tony and we we were all about the same, you know, that we we knew everybody in Canada soccer at that time who was playing. So it wasn't that difficult. You know, we didn't have to go and look overseas who might be available, who could change, whatever. Mm-hmm. We knew everybody because we had what called national training centres and all the players were involved in the national training centres in every province. And we all did the same sessions every session. It was a really good setup. that was really well done. Anyway... So we did that, and Tony says, great. He says, I think we've got three options here. He says, option one is, if they refuse to play it, we play the B team. Go to the World Cup. He says, what else can we do? Option two, we'll give them what they want. And option three, we negotiate and compromise. And he says, but that's not our decision. That's what I'm going to recommend to the board of directors because it's their job to sort this out, not the coach's job. And... I'm staying out of it, he says, it's up to them. So we'll offer them all expertise and let them get on. In the end, they did compromise and uh, settled and the game went on and they played in the World Cup finals. But it was common sense from Tony that gave them the idea. And I look at what's happened this week and it's it's just mind-blowing that it can get to this stage with the history we've had and the, and the people involved and... You know, the, the players obviously want more money and, and I, I tend to be on the side of the players, to be quite honest with you. I think they've got a, a good argument to say they want a bit more. The, the money that comes in from FIFA to the national teams who qualify is uh, is usually well spent and it doesn't just go to the players and bonuses and what have you. It goes to help to foster and develop other programmes, the youth teams, the grassroots and, and all the way down the, the hill. But the players... In all honesty, and if you look at it a little bit on their side, they're the ones who earned the money. They're the ones who've uh, played well and done well and got to the World Cup and got enough money. And I've always said, when you when you qualify for the World Cup, each country, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer because the ones who qualify have that money to spend developing their programs so that they qualify every year. And we didn't really do that after we'd qualified and made money in 86. So... Looking at it this week, it, it, it saddens me that the board haven't learned from that. Uh, however, I think the players have to take a little bit of responsibility as well. And in hindsight, they may look at it and say, maybe we should have played against um, Panama and then said, if this is not sorted out by Thursday, we're not playing again on Thursday. And that would have put more pressure on the on the board, but given the players a bit of a better look. Because really, who's not benefited this are the fans who have travelled... Some of them from the island, two hundred dollars, you know, hundred dollars each way on the ferry, food, hotel, tickets, and all that. And they get to the ground and they say, "Oh, it's cancelled. You got to go home." So it's not a good look for anybody from both sides. But I think um, the board need to really get their act together and get this sorted out. I was disappointed. I think, I, I think Alan, from the from the point of from the point of view of the actual Panama game and cancelling that one, as opposed to the potential of cancelling Thursday. Uh, for the players' point of view, the, the repercussions are massively different. Um, for the Thursday game, it's a CONCACAF FIFA event, which Correct. would be, yeah, would be a suspension. Yeah. And going by 
precedence and even what they did with Guatemala suspending them for the Nations League and two gold cups says pretty what much what would would happen to this Canadian team right. so that's yeah. that's the problem with the Thursday one so maybe that, came into, their, point, I, I, I I hope that, that came into their minds uh, and I hope it comes in their minds about even possibly thinking about the Thursday one uh, make sure they get out there I think they've made their point um, but they can lose public opinion now very quickly right yeah, Alan, back, 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 sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Is, uh, Nick, Nick Bontis was on TV and his new conference. I didn't think he'd come across very well, to be quite blunt. Um, and I thought he made one comment, which I thought was a bit stunning, really, was I'm in the same hotel and I've been sitting by the phone and haven't had a phone call. Well, get your backside out of the hotel and go knock on the door and say, right, let's sort this out. You know, it's not good just sitting waiting for a phone call. Get off your ass and don't do something. And to, to put that on the players, the players have to come to us. Is they like, are bigger than the rest. I, that's the impression they got. And I think, come on, let's get this sorted out. Think about the whole program, not just about we're going to beat the players or the players are going to beat us. It's it's not about that. It's about what's being fair and honest and and benefits both sides. And there has to be level heads in this. And then the next thing I see is going back to Toronto, and they, they haven't sorted anything out. So, mm -hmm. really, if, if you're the president of the Canadian Soccer Association, uh, unless there's something really tragic happened at home, stay there until it's sorted, get it sorted out, and then get yourself final. Well, I, I have a little bit of inside information on the reason why he left, and there was some threats and some things uh, by fans and supporters uh, around his family and house in Toronto. Uh, so that's why I heard he had actually made the move to come back out. So... Um, until we before I learn more about that, I'll, I'll give them a, a bit of a break on uh, on that one. That's a that that is a terrible situation if that is true. Yeah, it's out of order. That yeah. Yeah, that's that's modern sport though, isn't it? Unfortunately, right? The the fans get personal. It's 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 appalling, quite frankly. But but it happens. Um, back to this '86 team. Um, do you think how how close were they to to fielding a B team of scabs? And was Craig Forrest part of that scab team? Yeah, I've spoken to some of the players since, and they were. They were, um, I mean, there was never a chance they were going to play the, the, the second team. Never a chance in a million years. That's, that's a, something to put towards them and says, if you don't play, we'll play them. But never going to happen. I mean, we're not the, the most respected team in the world anyway, right, even then. And if you did that, you'd be less respected. You know, you'd be like a laughingstock of the world and it wouldn't have happened. It just it wasn't on the cards. It was just something we did to say, this is what we've done to, to try and, it was a, an idea to try and scare the player tactics a bit. Or they're going to stand back, but again, that was just Tony's suggestion. He didn't, in any way, shape, or form, support that. He just wanted to get a resolution and um, get on with his job as a coach. It, yeah, the money side of it's nothing to do with him, you know. And I think it's the same with John Herdman, he's got to keep well out of it because he's got to have relationships with the players. And if he says, No, you've got to take this amount of money, which is less, and that'll spoil it, it's got nothing to do with him. And I think he's been very wise not to get involved, not to be on TV and making these comments. I'm on the player side and I'm on the board side. He's just going to keep out of it. It's, it's yeah. not a problem. I, I agree with you. That's that's not John Herman's role. And he doesn't want to get caught up in that situation because yeah. that, that could backfire real quick. The minute that the players think that you might tend to take sides with the CSA, you've lost mm -hmm. them now. You've lost them. And then the same on the other side. If the the CSA looks and thinks, well, we've hired you to be the head manager and now you're taking the player's side. So he's got to sit in the fence and stay, and stay well away from this situation and really just be there for support as well for the players if, if they need anything. But other than that, he can't get involved.
I think one of the issues, guys, that John Herman might have, which is unfortunate, is that uh, down the road, we could see a split in the dressing room on opinions on where this stands. And not only that, but equal pay with the women. Does that become a, a wedge between the men's team? Certainly going to become a wedge between the women's and the men's team unless they decide that they're going to cave and say, no, we will give more than that. We'll give, we'll give, we'll go equal right down the board. And my suggestion to them would be, Al, that they should make that decision. And I only say that from a reason that whether we agree with it or not, I think it's going to happen anyway. And do we and can we afford a fight between the CSA, the women, the women and the men, the men and the CSA? Can we afford that in this country where we struggled for so long to gain some respect? Um, it's going to, I feel for the guys that aren't making millions of dollars, Fonzie's not going to give a, a shit either way, but I think it's going to happen anyway. And they either look like heroes by doing it, or they're going to get an absolute ass kicking, uh, uh, by public opinion, whether they're right or wrong. I, I, I agree. I think, first of all, I think they have to sort out the men's and women's share of the pie, uh, before they start negotiating for what the men want for the world cup, because, it's, it's happened in the U.S. where they're now getting equal, equal paid to the men. So it's going to happen here. There's no doubt about it. Now, if the Canadian women's team finished 10th in the World Cup and in the Olympics, it would be an easier sell for the men to say, we deserve more money and what have you. But they haven't. The women's team have done very well. Uh, they've got a bronze medal twice. They've won gold in the Olympics. And mm -hmm. uh, they've done quite well in the World Cup. So they're, they're, they're a figure that they've got to be dealt with. So it's going to happen whether we're... You know, you have you know, supporters of the men's programme over more than the women's programme or vice versa. It's going to happen that they're going to come equal. But I think the, the board of directors have to sort that out before they start negotiating with Canada with this World Cup because that's only going to start fires again afterwards if they just negotiate with the men. So it has to come equal and then the, the share of the pie might change and the men, unfortunately, are going to have to be convinced that they're going to have to lose a little bit to get on par with the woman. But that's where the world's going. The women's program has really grown, and I think they will, uh, it's going to happen. They're going to get equal. Well, they will. I mean, the, the legalities of the situation is an Ontario law. It is equal pay for equal work, right? And legally, Ontario law states that they must get the same. And I'm being told that that is a bit of a sticking point still in these negotiations. Uh, Canada's suckers demanding. 50-50. You saw the women's statement yesterday, I thought was very important. I can't believe it wasn't covered as much as the, the other statement, quite frankly. Um, they said there's been great progress made. The deal is close to being signed, but they've got a bone to pick with the men's letter, suggesting a percentage because it's going to be 50-50. They're going to pull this money together. They're going to get the same money. That isn't even negotiable at this point. It's very much a deal breaker, quite frankly. And uh, you know that should be accepted by the men who... I'm being told are still not dealing with a lawyer. They're still fronting these negotiations themselves with a veteran group with Canada Soccer. Um, Canada Soccer have offered to provide a lawyer for them or to pay for a lawyer. At this point, as far as I know, they haven't done that, which to me is frankly madness, right? These are footballers dealing with business people. You need well, help. I think the argument, the, past, James, the argument in the past, in all, in all countries really, is the men's team are bringing in more money at the gate than the women's team. That's not the case here in Canada. I think the women's team are really well supported. And I think we had 50 odd thousand at BC place to watch a women's game, you know, and mm. it's fantastic. So that's not an argument. 
But um, I, I think it's going to happen all around the world now. The, the world is cha- soccer world is changing uh, in the way that there's more women involved in the game now on the men's side as well. Uh, there's more women involved in the um, commentary and uh, color commentators and what have you, and pundits than there ever has been. And it's a little bit when there's any change, people don't like it. They, 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 you know, they, they, they fight against it. And I might be one of them and say, oh, you know, it's not as. I prefer to hear this and that, but it's a, it's a fact. They're going to be involved. And some of the women who are doing the commentary now that I watch every day on TV games, I watched the game yesterday, France and Croatia. And there's a, uh, I think I think it, can't remember the name of the woman. From London, a woman doing the colour commentary. Very good. Very informative. Very good. So you, we're going to have to learn to accept it. And uh, they're going to get better as well. So I think it's, it's a matter of we've got to accept them coming in. They have to have equal pay. It's never going to change. It's going to be equal pay. 100%. So that's got to be done before they start negotiating what they're going to get out of this World Cup. And I think the board of directors need to identify that. There should be some people smart enough on the board to say, we've got to get our ducks in order and, and do the right thing here. But it doesn't appear that way, does it? It really doesn't. That's the frustrating thing, right? And Sharms, to your lawyer point, that's, you know, with the players, that in the past, they've been negotiating for themselves and their deal surrounding the tournament, whatever it was, the Gold Cup, the World Cup. Now, they're in a position where they're restructuring the whole business of the operation. Like I can understand why the players are just uh, this started without any lawyers or any legal advice. Maybe they're taking some. Why it's a multi-million dollar deal. It's a multi-million dollar deal. But it's but but this is now a deal that's restructuring the 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 whole business of of Canada soccer, right? The the, the way the organization is run. The players in one tournament shouldn't be in a position. It, 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 it it's it's backwards. The business should be in a spot where the players are arguing only for their or, you know, in a, in a situation where they're arguing only for their own thing, not for an entire restructuring, which is the problem. If they don't they make have the to World Cup, because of pay equity, they have to be involved in that. My point in this being, negotiation. if they don't make the World Cup, if the men's team doesn't qualify for the World Cup, Canada soccer is not getting this injection of 10 million. Right. Right. At all. Mm-hmm. This is the only source of income. It seems to be clearly the largest source of income that Canada soccer as a federation has to look forward to for this year and that's why it's a fight and because they hadn't created a structure or been prepared for this equal pay fight now the the men are involved in that it's just this right but but, but your point situation. but what you're saying but you, but the men need to have educated opinion i agree in, right oh, yeah. if then you're right it, it might be unfair then pay equity is, is a brand new world now right so so get represented by people that can protect you but the in these negotiations the board's always been administrators and there's not been enough representation from the players or the coaches or managers or physios or whatever. There's not been enough people there to say, well, hang on a minute, we've got to look at this side from their side as opposed to just the administrators. The administrators, all they look at is the money. They don't look at the players' welfare and what have you. Yeah. And it's 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 about time that changed. And I was just saying before the podcast, and I've said to many people, we're at fault as the ex players, coaches, managers, whatever, by not getting involved in the board of directors. But, you know, I've thought about it over the years. Should I get involved with BC Soccer? Should I get involved with CSA? And do I want to be sitting in a room with, I'll be the minority and all these guys are talking a lot of rubbish in my opinion and, and I really don't have a voice. So there needs to be more, but we're the problem for not joining in. But one of the things the players are asking for is the um, the friends and family thing to get them to the hotels and tickets and flights and all that part of the deal, you know. I remember when we played Mexico, Craig, in 94, and 
if we win, we win the World Cup. We qualified, and me and Bobby and Les, we brought the wives in, you know. And we said, right, well, a good chance we're going to win. We'll bring the wives in. I'm still paying for that. <laughs> Cast it on the leg. <laughs> me too. We were staying at the, was it the Harbour Castle, is that what I call it? Down under the yeah. thing. That That's was, right. Uh, yeah. The Western Harbour Castle, yeah. Yeah, so we had to pay for it, you know, but but that's what's happening around the world. The, the, the teams in Europe and South America, they're playing for the, they're paying for the families to come and be part of it. And that's going to be the norm everywhere eventually. And there's always going to be change. So the board of directors need to realize that. And that may be a negotiation uh, topic that they might fight for and say, we can't afford that, whatever. But eventually it's going to come. You know, the, the, we all they always seem to follow the masses and when the bigger world teams do things like that and, and the players negotiate and get more out of it, then the, the smaller teams will follow because that's going to be the norm. And that's going to happen here as well. So I think I, I think as well, when you, Alan, when you look at it now, I think with the players that we have and the teams and clubs that they're, they're playing for in their, own, in their own leagues, they're playing with guys now that are playing in the French national team or they're playing in a German national team. So when they're sitting in that dressing room, they're – the Canadian boys are going to be asking, hey, what are you guys getting for your World Cup? Mm-hmm. What, what extras? What bonuses? What, what do you get here? So when they come into these meetings, they're loaded from a standard that is represented around the world. Yeah. And they're bringing that to the table now and saying, well, this is what we want because Germany's getting that. We want this because France's getting this. So I think it's a lot different from where we were, you know, back in the day trying to do negotiation. And, but we, we weren't sitting there playing with these top, top players in the world. But the negotiations, I mean – I go back to again in '94, Craig, when we were in Florida in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, we were going to come out training, and everybody had Patrick boots on. Mike Sweeney had been at some place and got a load of Patrick boots. And then I showed up with a semi truck full of Patrick boots. Yeah, uh, I never got any, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> I remember Bobby sitting in by at that time. He had a big brick on the side of his face, which was a cell phone in those days. And I think it took uh, about six triple. The big battery and all that, that was massive. <laughs> he was on the phone to Kevin Pipe, and we had to wear Adidas all the time. That was the contract that they'd signed. And everybody had to wear Adidas training gear, strip, casual gear, shoes, boots, the whole lot. Some of the players weren't happy about that because they had contracts with Nike, Umbro, Patrick, whatever. And they were going to get paid quite an amount of money, a good amount of money, to play wearing those boots to advertise their product that they're getting sponsored by. Mm-hmm. And they weren't allowed to, they had to wear Adidas and the players weren't happy with that. And that was a, a real problem uh, with the negotiations. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, the CSA used Adidas and uh, they got it. And I don't think they got paid anything for being the sponsor. They just got free gear, you know, which is ridiculous. And yeah. and you've got to look at the board and say, well, who's negotiating this? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Really, there's got to be some common sense here. Yeah. I would really like to know what this Nike deal is with the CSA because my bet is that they are receiving zero or very little money from Nike. Very little, or it'll be probably in the region of a million dollars or something like that in gear a year. But as far as receiving money, and I think that contract runs through 26 too. So they got themselves a sweet deal as a manufacturer goes, but I don't think the CSA. And then when people talk about revenue raise from shirt sales, that's that's not really the case. I mean, when it came up, when Ronaldo went to Manchester United, everybody said, oh, well, the shirt sales and all this. Well, 
they'd already been paid by the manufacturer a record hundreds and hundreds of millions of deal Man United in the first place. So the actual what they receive is very small from additional shirt sales. It, it might be 10% at the most. So it's not it, is, it would be helpful, but it's not massive. And then just the other thing is that the, that organization, uh, that company is more interested in looking after the big teams, servicing them first. There's, yeah. you know, you got all these uh, problems around the world as far as getting things, uh, you know, serviced properly in Canada and the, but not in the forefront of their mind. So we think, have a shortage of shirts as well. What are you going to look at those? Where, where's the board going to go with this? I mean, I mean if Bonus has gone home, that, for that reason, that's fine. What are they going to do? I mean, surely they've got to get together in the hotel and, and thrash this out and get it sorted out once and for all. And there's always going to be a compromise. You can't, you know, draw your line in the sand and say, that's it. There has to be a compromise. They're going to play in the World Cup. There's no doubt in my mind that they're going to play in the World Cup. So at some time, somebody's got to give a bit and they've got to get this sorted out. And the sooner the better, because it's really embarrassing for the country and the club and the, and the team. Alan, you said you feel a bit of responsibility for, you know, not having knocked on that door or, or, or considered perhaps a board seat. Um, you're a, a strong opinion man. Do you think you would have been welcomed in that setting? No. He, no way. <laughs> not a chance. He speaks yeah. his, he tells the truth I mean, too much. I tell the truth. That's why I'm not commentating anymore. <laughs> I used to tell it as it was. <laughs> that's all right. None I mean, of us are. I've always been to say the truth and be honest and, I mean, even when I was coaching with Bob Leonard, was he, um, we, we got on really well, Bobby. Bobby was very, very good. I did load most of the training. Bobby did all the team talks and whatever. And we had a great relationship. But the players probably don't know. There was many, many times Bobby and I disagreed on player selection and uh, the way we played, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, and I'd strongly disagree, you know. And at the end of the day, I always thought this way, I'm the assistant coach. He's the coach. Whatever he says at the end, even though I, I've given my point and he declines it, whatever, he's the coach. I've got to support him and back him all the way and not, you know, get a, get after him from behind. So that's that's the way I was. And being on a board, I, would, I think I would have, I don't think I'd have been accepted too well because I would have fought a lot of things and probably all any other players or coaches who've gone in would have done the same. And it's a few things. I mean, one of my, Good pals, uh, Sean Lowther, who played for Canada and played for the Whitecaps. He got on the board in um, in, in Alberta. Uh, he was technical director. Then he went on the board as one of the executives. And he says he had to get out of it. He quit. He says he's now coaching in a club technical director. He just couldn't take it day by day, fighting everybody, trying to get what he thought and knew was right. And you're dealing with, with all due respect, amateurs who they're in for the right reasons, but they really just don't know what they're doing. So it's, it's a tough one. Mm. And... I, I've looked at it and think, should I have got involved? And probably not. It would have been more headaches and more arguments than it was worth, you know. And you might not be alive today. And my wife doesn't even listen to me. Never mind the board of directors. <laughs> well, you should uh, get her to listen to Footy like Prime Morning. Um, yeah. No, uh, Alan, the, one of the, the standout things for me, I said this on the last show, and, and maybe you can speak to a couple other experiences, but I just think it's wild that, you know, from that from that World Cup team, from the team that didn't qualify in '94, um, all the teams that Craig and Jimmy played on, and the some of the the younger players at at their time uh, when they were hanging them up, um, who are veterans and you know, Atiba now. It's so wild that all of these guys have the same types of stories. I don't think that's the case in other countries. 
there should be uh, just like there's been an elevation of the game on the pitch there should be an elevation of everything off the pitch and that just hasn't happened in 35 40 years well you look at some of the board of directors and, and i don't know who's on them all but in england bobby charlton was there for a long long time hmm. i think in germany franz beckenbauer was in there for a long long time and there's, there's voices of reason that, that have an idea of what it's like on the other side that 95% of the board members have never experienced, you know. I mean, we used to get some of the board members, you must remember, Craig, come on the trips, and that their only job really is to pass a silver plate to the other guy, and that's about it, you know. And and we've had some right beauties that's come on the trips and try and tell us how to play and how to coach and what to do and all that, you know. And then we've had some of them that have been absolutely brilliant. We had one guy we played in El Salvador called Andy Sharp, who was the vice president of the CSA, and then became the president. And he was almost apologising for being there, kept out of the way. And we had a really force. We said, Andy, come on, have dinner with us, you know. He was brilliant. He couldn't do enough to help. He was fantastic. Yeah. And there was a few of them like that. But then there were some others come over. I mean, we played in Mexico, Craig. I don't know if you remember it. We played, I think we stayed in the Benidorm Hotel somewhere. It was the one where... Um, the Italian lad that came, Enzo, came in and he got, got bit on the nose. He got bit on the nose by a big dog. <laughs> and he had stitches. I know. Actually, I'll tell you the story. How that went. We we went to a dog show. Yeah. It, was a, it was a bull mastiff, and he has one at home. Yeah. No, was, yeah, we we're like, holy shit! No, don't go near that. Don't. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. He goes, you you, you just can't look him in the eye, You're right? You got it, but you can go up. So he goes up to this dog, and he's not looking. He's looking at us. And the fucking thing grabbed the hold of it, like bit his nose, <laughs> tore the shit out of it. Look, fucking blood everywhere. <laughs> but anyway, in the hotel, we had the, the director who came as the head of delegation. He brought his wife, and I remember we were having dinner one night. It was a Tuesday night, and we'd had the Wednesday off. We were at, and, and, and I think it was Pat Onstead and a couple of other players who hadn't played much because we were on a three-week tour. We played a few games. And they said, Alan, we haven't, we, we would draw the train and go, we're going to go and see the ruins somewhere. The bus was arranged a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Would you mind staying back and taking a session and then give me some work? I said, I don't know, Pat would we'll do that, you know. And then David Norman says, I, I'd rather stay in the train. And then Jeff Onge, I'd rather stay in the train and a few others. So I says to Bobby, Bobby, I'm going to stay back tomorrow. I'm going to train about four or five of them and do a session because they've missed out. They've not played a lot of minutes, you know. Yeah, okay. He said, well, I don't know. How many want to go on a trip? How many would rather train? And all the hands went up to want to train. So we said, right, we'll cancel the trip. We'll train the next day. And the wife of the director was furious. <laughs> and the director said, what's going on here? Who's running this show? I mean, the, 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 we've got this trip planned to the mountains to see the roads like, you know, and we're saying, well, but it came on Sunday. <laughs> we're going to train, and they just have no clue. It was no. just wonderful. And so there was good and bad. There was some good ones, but some bad ones. And I mean, that's the perks they get, I guess. They get a trip here and there, and they think they're full of it. And even in one of the meetings afterwards, we had the, the guy, I'm not going to mention his name, but he was telling us how to coach and how to play. And oh, it was unbelievable. We just looked at each other and just kept quiet, you know. Pointless. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, there, Jimmy. No, I'm just—it's—he's it's, right. Like I remember times, Craig. We we've been on a, a plane, flying to a match, and a board member would get on, and had no idea who we were as players. Yeah. <laughs> He'd introduce himself. I'm I'm so and so on the board. Sorry, what's your name? I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm Jimmy Brennan. Nice to meet you. Oh, nice to meet you. You go to the next player. He had no clue. 
who yeah. the players were whatsoever. Yeah. I remember. And then and then and then we go training, and this was like back in the day. What a mess it was. We'd have people from, you know, the board or from the CSA would be on the pitch with their football football gear on, knocking the ball around. I'm thinking, we're fuck, we're about to train here, and we got these people walking around this pitch with football gear on. I've got a great story that we were in again. I don't know where we were. It might have been. It was somewhere in Central America. I can't remember. There's that many games, but we had a director, and we played in a game before we went there. And I can't remember who it was. It might have been Mike Sweeney. I can't remember. But he, he took a shot almost from the halfway line. The goalie was off his line, and it was an open goal. And he missed the goal from the halfway line. He missed the goal. He was in the centre circle, and we're having dinner that night. And the director says, "What's, what's he doing? I mean, he, surely he's got to score that." And Big Tony says, "It's not as easy as it looks, you know." Oh, I could score that. You know, I could do that. And Tony says, really? Oh, I could do that. That's, that's, what are you talking about? Anybody can score. It's an open goal. So we got some balls. Kevin will do and got a bag of balls. We climbed the fence at the stadium and we got in in the centre circle. And he said, how many think you'll get out of 10? He says, nine. Okay, let's have a go. So he pings the first three in the goal. And Tony's gone, oh, my God. And then he missed, <laughs> then he missed the rest. <laughs> oh, good. He missed the rest and that shut him up. But you haven't a clue. You know, no. just some of them don't. Anyway, I mean, again, there's one or two that uh, that have been around that did have a clue. Andy Sharp, as I say, fantastic. He was, yeah, he, played, I liked him. he was a good player. I, I think. I mean, I think. Listen, um, the, the sins of the past are, are clear, right? And I think the current group um, acknowledge that there's been problems in the past. It's been a big turnaround as well as you know people coming in, people leaving. Right now, Charmaine Crooks is involved there. She knows sport. She's a sports person. Uh, Tiffany, uh, uh, Timco, Brittany Timco, sorry. Um, you know, she's ex-player, many, many caps for Canada. Um, but there does need to be more representation, I think, on, on the border at the high level of ex-players. Not to say you guys are all freaking geniuses by any stretch, but you can have a context. I think that is necessary. And certainly it wouldn't harm in these negotiations for sure. Well, it has to be the right people. I mean, I, I yeah. would pick two out right away. Randy Reagan, smart guy, lawyer, intelligent. You know, he, he knows how to have himself in board meetings. John Catliff, Harvard graduate, he's run big companies, he's done that. They're the people you want in. You know, you don't want people in that aren't good at that and, and really they're just there because they're an ex-player. You want somebody in there that can yeah. hold their own with these executives. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way we're going to move forward. But to get those players to volunteer their time, because they're already successful people and they're working and doing what mm -hmm. we have, it's a lot to ask for them. But if we're going anywhere and we're going to get to the next level, in, on the board, we need to get people like that involved. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think if you look around the world now too, a lot of the big clubs, there's ex-professionals that, that are involved with the organizations at high, high levels because they're the ones that have, have been in the industry for so long. They know how it works. And then what should end up happening is they should be saying, guys, this is the direction that we got to go. This is how it works in professional football. The executives in turn behind say, okay, how do we make this come to fruition now? Jimmy. Let's spot let's on. make this work. Now, if you've never been in professional football in your life, then how the hell do you know what to do? Because you're just guessing. Oh, this is what they might do in professional uh, professional football. It's the closest that ever going to get to professional football is to be on the board and be around the players, and that's that's their goal and dream, I guess. You know, but yeah. uh, but all professional footballers aren't the smartest and 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 don't belong in the boardroom. That's so there has to be the right people involved, though. And there are some good people that's played in the national team and in this current lot. There's some really smart kids in there. 
that they're the, they're the future. And on the Woods team, there's some smart ladies that should be on the board of directors and there should be a, a bit of an equal balancing out of executives because you need people to do budgets, to do planning, to do the government work and fill all the forms in and get all the, you know, the, the grants and what For have sure you. sure it does. You need people to do all that, but you need people with common sense and there has to be a balance. And if you go one way or the other way, it's not going to work. You need that balance to keep it in the middle and, and get things moving in a progressive way. Yeah. The, the other thing is too, because if you do have, you know, certain players, the ex-players that you mentioned there, then there's, there's a mutual respect between the players Exactly. And then someone that's involved with the CSA where they can confide in one another and say, hey, listen, this is what we want as players. Yep, guys, we're going to work with you now. So there's a trust. Mm-hmm. And well, Craig mentioned right now, in that there's last no podcast. trust with the players no. and with the, with the board. Craig mentioned in the last podcast having that person on the ground here. That is that liaison yeah. between the players. And, and that clearly has to happen at some point. But both parties need to be open to it. And from these negotiations, it doesn't seem that both parties are open to that. Alan, I think we need to get a sponsor at some point and have like a story time with Alan weekly on, on the Prime podcast because uh, you're brilliant. Really enjoyed these chats, mate. Thank you so much. And uh, we, we will definitely have you on again because this is always a lot of fun. All right, very welcome. Enjoyed it. And let's hope to get this thing sorted out for the good of the game yeah. and for the fans. Good luck, for, good luck to your Newcastle next year as well, eh? Uh, top of the league. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey. I was going to go over in October and get some games in, but we're about to cancel it, so mm, I'll get there. I'll get <laughs> on. I keep talking about buddy Peter Beardsley. I see him, he's always on the phone and we chat about it, and things are happening. It's really, really encouraging what's uh, going on there. And I know some people are opposed to it with all the money coming from Saudi Arabia, but I think the fans just deserve some. It's all right. Yeah. So like, golf is making, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia mainstream. So, you know, that's fine for Newcastle. They're loving this right now, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> did, did Wander... uh, I'll always be a Newcastle fan, unfortunately. Well, maybe good times now. I've had yeah. 40 years of misery. I have black hair when I started. <laughs> maybe get it's some good gas prices. It's going to be a good season. <laughs> yeah. maybe. Thanks a lot, Alan. Really appreciate right, it. Thank you. So listen, boys, um, the Canada did train yesterday. I'm assuming they're training today. Uh, negotiations, I'm assuming, are going to be going ahead. We, we hope, we think, we don't know. There's uh, still a lot of animosity, I think, in those negotiations from what I'm being told at the moment, but uh, it doesn't mean something can't be sorted. But Craig, I mean, the bottom line is, as you mentioned in that conversation there, they just cannot strike ahead of the next match. No one wins in that situation. Not talking about fans and media i'm talking about the good of canada soccer and the players because they start bailing on fifa sanctioned matches competitive matches they're getting tossed from tournaments including the gold cup including the united the uh, the, the nations league yeah yeah guaranteed guaranteed minimum there'd be one gold cup and nations league booted um but my feeling would be it'd be like uh, guatemala that lost two opportunities at gold cups that was a different situation but uh, more government interference, but it's still, you know, it's a precedent. Uh, we've seen this before in the African countries, uh, UEFA, Asia as well. So, the, you know, and uh, it's interesting uh, that the disciplinary committee um, the, in CONCACAF, and, and it's basically like this for every confederation, as it should be, are separate from the executive board. Um, so somebody like Victor Montagliani has zero to do with um, with influence as far as that executive committee goes. 
And mm -hmm. the bet would be, for me, would be, if anything was said by Victor, it would be like, don't be light on Canada because of me. In fact, you know, it, it could be worse because of, you know, being a Canadian president. Um, but uh, that's out of his hands, which is which is interesting and and good from his point of view, you know. But, but just to clarify, well, that's what, what you know, said, when, when, so okay. those penalties are already in place. Charms, you said that they would it would be they would be booted from the gold cup. No, the like, presidents would suggest that would be what would happen. That would be oh, in FIFA's FIFA would be yeah. able to do that. Like would, yeah. Yeah. Guatemala, right, Craig? Guatemala being the most recent one. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Would be able to. It's not that these are already predetermined penalties no, no, for no, a federation. No. Okay. But they don't no. take that lightly. Refusing to play football matches that they yeah. sanctioned. Yeah. Especially is not FIFA sanctioned yet. Yeah. yeah. So going by Guatemala, they got Nations League uh, banned from and then two gold cops. So, yeah, yeah let's. That's going to be around what you're looking at, you know, so it, whatever you look and a fine as well. So the Canadian Soccer Association would then have to pay a fine. And that's going to hurt the players because that comes out of the fund. That comes out of the bundle of yeah, money. Exactly. Well, then that's the whole point, right? Is that well, I think actually Candace Hooker mentioned this in their press conference. They, they used the, the term retroactive, that any negotiations they reach will be retroactive to these current games. So just because mm -hmm. you haven't signed a deal by, by Thursday, for example, mm -hmm. when that deal is signed, you'll get paid on the terms of that deal, right? Mm -hmm. Which is important. And, and I think it gives a little mm -hmm. breathing space. You can negotiate contracts while still playing games. Look at other sports. It happens all the time. The women have been doing it for months, quietly, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're very close to getting a deal signed now, which they're happy with. So, right. you know, times, times are changing, but there's still animosity there, unfortunately. And what but are you know are they getting close charms? Because I mean, if they if they don't get equal pay, they're they're not they're not. Well, happy. that's they're not. But I, I don't think it's negotiable on the men's side. Like I think Canada Soccer have set, set their stall out. We are going fifty fifty. The the US deal that's the model here. That's what we're doing. If you don't like mm -hmm. it, then no deal signed. And well, who looks mm -hmm. bad in that case? Yeah. I, I think the men can't win in this situation, whether they agree with it or not. I think there'd be best to just cave in. Uh, well, say this is what that. we want to do, and then collectively as a unit, you've got now the Canadian women and the men on the Power. same page. Yep. That's a powerful situation as opposed to us yeah. fighting with the different teams, uh, which is just not going to do anybody any good. And it's going to get ugly, and then they're going to end up getting equal pay anyway, and you're just going to look like a bunch of dicks. I yeah. still think the problem is <laughs> they can't be relying on prize money as the source of income. Now, I know that there's other reasons why in Canada, we'll never have turned the same marketing and sponsorship dollars as the States, not even close. Be lucky to do a 10th of that. I get that. But again, if, if women's Olympic qualification prize money, if women's World Cup qualification prize money, which is not the 10 million, and then the, the men who we say will always be at the World Cup from now on, we expect them to always qualify. The prize money cannot be the only income in the kitty. You just have to run the business differently. And they know this, which is why they created Canada Soccer Business. But the, you can pick holes at it if there are deals like this Nike deal we suspect that is not turning uh, a typical federation income fee. Then you have to do these better deals. It's This is what, what blows my mind about the business side of it and restructuring the business in the middle of this massive moment on the field. Like th th that shit should have been done before. Hmm. This should have been oh. done over the last – I know the pandemic and everything – but they shouldn't be in a situation where the players are dragging the business forward. But that's on both of them. That's on yeah. and the players, right? You pick up a phone anytime, yeah. last four years. Yeah. And it's easy to point fingers. Now, whether you, you're, uh, at fault. Uh, you're at fault. Another 
another point that you know is we're talking about and whether or not it's right or wrong but when the csa go to the provinces and they they're asking for an extra dollar uh, on their six dollars per player that they get or whatever it is now they won't get it the, the clubs will fight tooth and nail not to give another dollar of their 205 dollars or whatever to the csa and primarily, maybe not because they don't want to do it, but the guy who's in charge of that at that club level, he's the one voting in the president of the the provincial side of things. So where I'm sitting, what I'm saying is that the power really re- is, lies in the clubs themselves because the person that's getting elected needs them on their side. He doesn't need the CSA on their side, you see. That's the next layer. Players, CSA, okay, that's, that's, that's sexy right now. That's a big thing. But yeah. provincial CSA relationships has been the biggest problem in Canadian football forever. Mm-hmm. Way worse than, than player board relationships. Yeah, That's but don't, uh, hey, yeah. don't don't yeah. think as well that they all they all get along too with the local local clubs and provincial bodies. Majority of the local clubs don't get along with the provincial bodies at all. Mm-hmm. No. At all. And no. what the local clubs are trying to do is they're trying to keep costs down as well because what if their fees go up then their members are saying, why do our fees keep going up here? Yeah. And that's that's the big issue. That's a big issue. Well, mm-hmm. a big issue is also for the last two years, there's been no player income whatsoever, right? Yeah. Canada no. soccer on, on a budget to begin with, there's been no football in, in Canada because there's freaking yeah. pandemic, right? And they yeah. depend on that mm-hmm. income as well. So there is so little money right now. They've mm-hmm. got to find ways to make money. I mean, is it possible that if you have the right people in place to go to talk to these clubs at that level and go, yeah, it's an extra five bucks uh, per kid um, and you might not want to pay it. But this is the reasons why we think this is a good idea long term, you know, share your passions with them and and say, you know, this is and now we've seen what the national team are doing and what this money can do. Uh, Be open and transparent with them as far as where that money is going. Where is that money going? Where is that extra dollar, five dollars? That's key. That is is true. Their, yeah. their so and make them feel as a part of the the actual project itself i mean when you look at the german yeah. system and all the clubs so the pyramids you know the right way up where all the clubs and everything filter right to the very top which is the national team success and that's why that league and the national team uh partner up so very well but in canada really the pyramid's upside down um we, we need to change yeah. that uh, but i'm just not sure exactly what all the answers are no it's it, it, look it's difficult as well because i think when it comes to comes to football or any sport, really, right? If I put my kid in recreational house league, plays a practice maybe on a Tuesday and one game on a on a Thursday, right? I'm paying two hundred five bucks. My kid's out there running around playing football. If you're going to increase my fee because you're going to say this money's going to go to Canada soccer, now if I'm not a soccer person, my kid's just playing. I'm like, no, I don't give a shit. I'm not paying extra money for that national team. Now the competitive side. Right, they have a they have an invested interest because their 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 kids are at that that high level competitive. Mm-hmm. They've got a passion for the sport, and if you said mm-hmm. to them, "Hey, listen, next ten bucks is going to help this national team program," then they're probably more mm-hmm. likely to do it than what your house league parents would. Yeah, but that's a small percentage, right, Jimmy? But what? What? No, you're right. You're, yeah, no, your house your house league is yeah, it's the biggest part of the organization. That's where right. the money all comes from from a local soccer club. Yeah. With with your pay. with. You wouldn't don't want to pay, and they don't want to increase prices. Now your the rep side, that's that money probably just evens out, right? By the time you finish covering all your costs for the for uh, for the rep, so you don't the clubs really don't make money there. The money all comes from your house league programs, 
Mm-hmm. And then it's your sponsorship. Now, going back to what you were saying, Brendan, about generating money, there's got to be other ways. Now, with the CSA, what what is it that they sell? It's the product, the product on the field. Over the last number of years, our product on the field hasn't been that great. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for them to go out and say, hey, invest in Canadian soccer. We're not the best. We haven't really qualified for much. The women have done fantastic, but the men have been struggling big time. Now you've got the product, which is going to a World Cup. They should be doing everything that they can, door knocking all over the place, trying to generate money to say, hey, we're on the world stage right now. And mm. let's get your brands associated with those doors must also open it. too right they could open as well right corporate canada's got to wake up and say okay yeah we'll, we'll open that door and we'll start funding money into this you know 100%. you can look at only so many doors but yeah but charms and- sorry i i you have to make that commitment to get those doors to open this is a sales and marketing issue an infrastructure issue that they've never had to deal with and we talked about it a year ago that they were not ready for prime time. But that's why they formed CSB. Yeah, but CSB is not an internal solution. CSB is making money. They're getting an extra 30%. They're getting but it's not 30%. uncommon in sport, though. It's not I'm not saying it's uncommon. I'm saying when you're always looking for some private option to solve your issues, you're already giving away part of your, part of your profit and part of your infrastructure money. But so, to, to, okay, but to, to and employ, I'm not bashing them. I know, I know, I know, I know. But to employ and hire your own department to sell and market that costs a lot of money. CSB was a solution to guarantee money at a time. So here's this program you, was in the shits. I, I I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying this was their only option. My point is they've never done this in 35 years of thinking about an approach to internalize their mechanism to create revenue but isn't They've that considered it properly right but isn't this considered professionalism professionalizing the well, we're no, hiring because a company, they, they don't just we're, we're hiring another company. company doesn't professionalize you you've seen it in but they couldn't afford it themselves they couldn't afford to do it themselves what you do is you you say hey we're bringing in three people they're going to be incentivized and this is how we incentivize them you give them a base and you go start knocking on doors and if that doesn't work which is they've never even tried before that's what's sad to me well, they, I'm sure they've they, tried. I'm sure they failed. Well, but I'm sure they've tried. Yeah, and CSB, that, CSB brought with it a domestic league, which got them yeah. a World Cup in 2026. I, yeah. I don't disagree with the CSB as a solution. It shouldn't be your first option. I just think CSB has been shit on right now. And listen, I'm not. I'm trying to not take sides here, but people yeah. don't understand. People didn't even know what CSB was a, a week ago. I, I'm and not, now got these opinions. Right? They bailed out this this program. I think about four years ago now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the program is in a very different position then than it is now. Yep. Very easy yeah. to criticize. No, well, I, IMG used to do this for years with the CSA too. It's exactly yeah. the same thing. And IMG at that time um, in Canada had some leverage. They they had great connections and they were guaranteeing the CSA, uh, I think it was a million bucks at that time. And then a split of you know uh, money revenue after that. And now think about that. I mean, IMG at that time, seems like a pretty good option like you know they've already been in the business for decades and they're in the know and they should be able to do a, a job that the csa uh can't to be frank uh some su you know soccer united marketing in the state some do the same thing for them down there and they do it really well uh, they, they run everything soccer related um and they do a fantastic job for them and they raise quite a bit of money but it's a different market 
than it is here, of course. Okay, this, mm-hmm. this might be controversial. I think what we should do is do what some professional teams do and have Saudi Arabia invest in <laughs> Canadian soccer. Would Canada soccer fans out there who are all 100% pro player, 100% anti can would they be welcome to that? Were they open to that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's 100 mil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm slaughtering Dustin Johnson for jumping over to that live uh, golf tour. And it's like, well, the Saudis come and offer us 100 million a, a show. It'd be like, we'd consider it at least, right? We'd oh at least my... consider it. Yeah. Chibi, Chibi's particularly, look at him. He's a captain. He's wearing his freaking <laughs> chic outfit already. I've got it in the closet ready to go for us. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, this this whole situation is, is I didn't think we expect, two weeks ago, we didn't expect to be having these kind of podcasts, right? Um, you hope the solution is near. Um, you hope cooler heads will prevail. Yeah. I, th- I think at some point a deal is going to be signed, right? And yeah. I think you need transparency on every side here. Is it 30, yeah. 30, 40? Is it 40 net? Is it 40 gross? The players need to come out and say, this is what we want, I think. Um, because there's a big difference to, there, right? They have to agree to that equal pay for... So they have to agree to that. And that's non-negotiable. To. That's a legal issue, right? And they've got to understand that, I think. Yeah. And Christ, it's football, guys. It should be talking about games right now. Should be talking about Panama and what happened from there and the formation no, John's I- using against Curacao. I, I agree with you, James. And I think the, the one thing that really bothers me is to is how we got to this this situation right now and how it's so public and it's out there and it's it's such a bad time. We should be celebrating right now. Celebrating. Yeah. Yep. And and not going through this bad press for the sport. And don't don't think that hockey and all the rest of the other sports in this country are not buzzing right now. They're being yeah, this is great. Look what's happening mm. with soccer now. Just as it starts to come up, mm. all of a sudden now we we hit a, a dark cloud and it's It's not good. And I'm disappointed too when the players came out and said that, I know they reached out in March and they didn't hear back until June. Like why, why is it taking so long? If right away, as soon as the players reached out, they should have been sitting at the table saying, guys, let's hash this out. Let's keep it behind closed doors. Let's get everything nailed here quick with the men, the women, all of us. But no, everything gets delayed, delayed. I honestly delayed, think there's a lot, lot of blame to go around here. A lot of finger pointing, a lot of blame to go around. He said, she said, really is. And they they have to get over that. They really have to. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope there's good advice on the player side. I, my gut tells me there's not great advice on the player side right now, and they've got to find that mm-hmm. in a hurry, or this thing yeah. could drag on. Anyway, boys, well, by the time we talk next time, there'll be something else to discuss regarding this fiasco. And it's a fiasco. Let's not kid <laughs> ourselves. Uh, Curacao on Thursday. I'm, I'm confident there will be a game because I can't believe any party on either side will be that stupid. Yeah. Watch out the, for their left back, too. He's, uh, he's pretty sharp. Is he good? Yeah. Are you they, as nervous against Curacao as you yeah, were like a year ago when you were terrified about the, the pre, pre-hex? Suriname. He was afraid of Suriname. Was it Suriname? Was it? Oh, well, forgive me. So was I at the time. But hey, Curacao almost made that uh, oct, if you remember. And Curacao actually beat Honduras in the Nations League. This yeah. Did they really? I should so, see. I wouldn't be. I haven't been preparing for games. It's, they're not going to be. Uh, don't be expecting an 11 nothing walkover. I tell you. I've been too busy preparing for my Ontario labor law. Question and answer instead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> in my brain now. Say right, non-negotiable. Say non-negotiable. Yeah. One non-negotiable. Yes. <laughs> it does get lost in your in, in your colonial accent. Like that's that's there's a confidence. <laughs> like, ah, this guy, listen to him. He's conquered the whole world. He knows, he knows what he's it. talking. I don't know shit. Anyway, boys, well, Portugal weren't exactly innocent themselves, by the way. 
Who wouldn't? You want to dissect colonization right now, buddy? I feel like this is not the show for that. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's some skeletons in your Portuguese colonialism closet. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, all, uh, you know, and all that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, boys, got to go. All right, we will uh, resume our conversation on Wednesday. Ooh, Wednesday, that's like tomorrow. Jesus Christ. We need too many podcasts. Anyway, bye, papers, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.